Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works here today with the flagship show. I am joined by he who should not be named. That is the infamous I Need No Name from Bavarian Podcast Works and Football Works. In how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, I just woke up and it's 730 here. So, you know, that's just what my Sunday is like. I mean, 7.30 p.m., not a.m. So that's just what my Sunday is like. And that feels good after an entire week of classes. Yeah, I have to reiterate to our listeners, it is pretty amazing that we're able to do this uh, dynamic duo, so to speak, with both of us being halfway across the globe. Right now, I have Tottenham Watford on in the background, just taking in some action. I've not been up for that long. And you're on the other end of the spectrum, as you mentioned, where, you know, it's very late at night. Well, not very late at night, especially for you. And we know that you like to stay up, but after a long week and which brings me to the you know it's a nice segue into what we're about to talk about because in we are somehow you know perception of time has been completely warped by coronavirus last year everything seems to have happened so quickly but we are at the end of a stretch of five matches in 15 days for Bayern Munich the most recent of which came in a 12-0 win over Bremer S. Vau in the DFB Pokal first round the match that was rescheduled. It was supposed to happen earlier this month. And then a 5-0 routing of Hertha Berlin at the Allianz Arena, making it uh, Julian Nagelsmann's second win in the Bundesliga. So we saw a lot of things. We obviously saw some heavily rotated uh, lineups from what we saw against F. Sekun, from what we saw against Bremer S. Vau, and then obviously yesterday at the time of recording against Hertha Berlin. But one of the things in that really stuck out was the placement of Leroy Sané and Julian Nagelsmann coming out and you know, announcing that he was making the switch to pretty much exclusively play him on the left or just mention and highlight how much better Leroy Sané played on the left. Now, and we saw him start from that position against Bremer S. Val midweek, which I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand the fact that that was the much easier matchup of the two, that is Bremer S. Val and Hertha Berlin. And then yesterday in, we saw Jamal Musiala start from that spot, right? And then Leroy Sané came on as a sub. But, but in, I just want to hear your thoughts on this because this all stemmed from in that first half against FC Kuhn, fans at the Allianz Arena were jeering and whistling Leroy Sané for giving away possession too cheaply. And, you know, remember in that match, he started on the right opposite of Serge Gnabry, obviously with uh, Thomas Muller and Lewandowski in between the two of them. But in, has this been a stroke of masterclass from Julian Nagelsmann? Are we only going to see him on the left from now on? Or, you know, do you also think that the fans were getting on his back a little bit too quick or... I just want to hear your thoughts on that. The thing is that I think this is a little bit of a desperate or desperation move from the coach because Leroy Sané, when he was given the number 10 and when he was coming into Bayern, I was 100% certain that we were going to put him on the right and make him a Robin replacement. And that's what Hansi Flick was trying to do. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's very integral to Bayern Munich that we have someone like Sané on the right who can cut inside and be a goal threat, especially right now that we don't really have an offensive right back like we had with Philip Lahm and Alphonse, sorry, uh, with Philip Lahm and Joshua Kimmich. So the move to put Sane on the left is going to really cost us because it's not something that's ideal for the squad planning. We really wanted to have it as Sane, Gnabry, Muziala and Coman, all of whom can play both sides, but they had some preferred sides that we were planning them with. And now that's all thrown out of alignment. And now Muziala and Sane are in direct competition with each other, which I don't think is a great thing. The boos, 
And you might have to chime in on this, Tom, because um, I, in my opinion, I don't think the booze were that bad. You know, it's just a little bit of frustration from the fans on how Sani's been playing. And he is our most, one of our most, let's say, well-compensated players. And that kind of frustration just boils over with what's going on right now. We've never, you know, there have been a lot of doubts about this transfer from the very beginning. We wanted him to happen and it was very stressful to make it happen. And now he's not really performing all that well. To be fair to him, he's not reacted poorly to any of it. He's just, you know, put his head down, kept going to work on it. But I don't really blame the fans for, you know, expressing their opinion. Yeah, just about to, as you're explaining all of that, in the back of my mind, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, is it, were the whistles louder because it was Leroy Sané? Or, for example, if that was Gnabry on the right, which many would argue that he's better starting from the right anyways, as we saw against uh, FC Kuhn in that second half when he switched over, far more productive from that side. You know, was it just because it was Leroy Sané, perhaps if Kingsley Kwaman uh, or Gnabry, as I said, or perhaps even Musiala, you know, Musiala would not be making those mistakes. No, no, not at all. If it, if it was either of those, do you think the whistles would, would have had the same fervacity or would, is it just because, as you said, you know, he, the, the money that we had to spend on him, the expectation and everything that surrounds that with Leroy Sané? I do think the money is having an effect, at least because of how the German media covers it. If you, I mean, we've been covering it for a long time ourselves and it's pretty much yes, every single report that comes out it's like this x player or y player they want this much money because Leroy Sané is getting paid 17 million a year and that's why you need to pay him and it's it's really it's really difficult you know and i think there's a lot a lot of pent up frustration from the PSG game last year where i think Sané was one of the Worst performers in that game, Sani and Coman both, but yeah. Coman has yep. some goodwill built up. You know, Coman and Gnabry, they haven't been performing that well all through their Bayern careers, but they have some goodwill built up over lots of years of service and good performances in the trouble year, whereas Sani has none of that. Sani really needs to prove himself, and before he proves himself, he's going to get a few boos and jeers, and it's not that shocking, you know? I, I often say that Bayern Munich fans are demanding, and this is just an example of that. We aren't just going to say, you know, good job, lad, you know. We are going to be like, you need to be better. We we, we don't want to see this. This is not what we are about. And it's a bit like Real Madrid in that sense, that you really need to be at the top of your game at Bayern Munich, or it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for you. And I think Sané is really finding that out right now. 100%. And- no, I've mentioned it on other podcast episodes before, but especially whether he's playing on the right or the left, I think it's you know not really much of an argument as if we use the past couple of matches as a barometer of evidence, but more far more effective on the left. But I also think it does depend who's playing behind him. You know, we've had different combinations in that first half against FC Kuhn. It was Tangai Nianzu out there when you know Google Match Sheet, Match Sheets, Bayern's app, and. You know, a few different applications had a lot of different variations about how that back four was being set up for that match. And even on our Slack channel, we were a little bit confused for a little while pre-kickoff against Bremer S. Val. It was somebody else. Uh, And then yesterday against Hertha Berlin, obviously, Leroy Sané didn't start. I think we're definitely going to see a little bit of a complex and complexion to that after the international break when Benjamin Pavard and uh, Luca Hernandez re-enter the fray and, you know, 
that's an entirely different discussion for a different time as far as who we think is going to slot back in at right back if Nagelsmann is going to continue to stick with Stanisic, who's been phenomenal with all of the matches that he's been given at the beginning of the season or you know how that's going to affect Leroy Sané's play. But I do think it has a lot to do with who's behind him. And to his credit, not really to his credit, I guess more to his defense, he's had a lot of different combinations to work with, and that's not always easy. Uh, but I really like what I saw uh, yesterday in the second half and then obviously uh, against Bremer S. Bow. And I think that Alfonso Davies playing behind Leroy Sané is going to be a very exciting prospect moving forward, especially if they're both able to produce, you know, as much as they can. But and I, before we uh, move on, I just wanted to know if you had any closing thoughts on that or if you, uh, you know, you think we'll see, you know, a completely revitalize Sané after the international break. Sané 2.0, so to speak, or uh, Manchester City. Uh, Leroy Sané. Oh, so the Sané, not 2.0, the Sané Alpha version. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, I just think that any, any, literally any half-decent winger can perform when you have Alfonso Davies, of all people, backing you up. Yes. And I think, me, and me. I think it's not really, it's a little bit of a cheat code. That guy is so good and he draws like three or four defenders as a left back. So it just takes a lot of pressure off you. And I think that's why uh, moving Sane to the left is more of a desperation move rather than an actual tactical advantage. But, you know, if he can get his confidence back, maybe we can slowly edge him back to the right or just figure out what he's going to be doing for this club going forward. But at the moment, Musiala is ahead of him. That's that's my closing thought of this. Musiala is definitely ahead of Sane in the pecking order. I, I have to agree with you on that, In And, you know, if... Nagelsmann continues to put that impetus on Leroy Sané. It's on Leroy Sané to earn that starting spot back. And I have no complaints if Musiala starts out there on the left and we have uh, a weapon like Leroy Sané to bring off the bench. And I think uh, I think Nagelsmann showed us that it worked quite well yesterday against Hertha Berlin. But speaking of wingers, in a lot of news out and about in Europe regarding the transfer market. We've seen a lot of ridiculous moves this season. I remember putting out a tweet yesterday saying, I can't believe how much money is being tossed around by certain clubs, even, you know, only about a year removed from the height of the coronavirus pandemic, so to speak. And of course, the big mega transfer I'm talking about in is Musa Sissoko to Watford. No, I'm only kidding. Obviously, if you don't live under a rock, if you're a football fan, you'll have known that Cristiano Ronaldo, pending in medical at the time of recording, will be joining. Manchester United, this is another blockbuster move as Ronaldo joins Manchester United for a reunion from Juventus. We've already seen Lionel Messi go to PSG. Rumor has it Mbappe is now going to Real Madrid. In what do you make of all these ridiculous transfers? It just seems like no matter what happens from a negative financial standpoint, it just FFB sort of gets circumvented by all the right people, if you know what I mean, or it just goes right out the window and here we are haggling over, you know, trying to get a couple of million euros shaved off of an 18 million euro price tag for Marcel Sabitzer from RB Leipzig. And it looks like that deal is close. Is this just complete madness is, is up is down, left is right in, or is there a reason why we're seeing those types of move happen, moves happen elsewhere in Europe? There is a reason. And I think it's very clear. These clubs that have the financial advantage. They've looked at the pandemic. They've looked at the situation going on with everyone else. And they've decided, okay, this is the time. Let's go for the jugular. And they've decided now that we can buy, there's no FFP to stop us. And everyone else has to sell. Let's go for it. Let's let's destroy 
the competition. What what else is left? What what do we have to lose? And once he, one club decides that, every other club has to follow suit. Otherwise, they get left behind. And it's just Bayern, really, who are trying to compete on an even playing field. Barcelona are sunk, basically. They have, I have no idea what they're going to do. Real Madrid, I have no idea what they're doing either. How are they offering 160 million for a guy who's only got one year on his contract and wants to join them anyway? This is like the time they offered 180 million to buy Eden Hazard when he had one year left on his contract and wanted to join them anyway. Oh, man, you, I don't understand Real Madrid anyway. There's also the fact that Manchester United, Chelsea, uh, Man City, PSG, they can just spend whatever they want. And when when you can do that, and you have to do that in this uh, financial climate anyway, if you can do that, why not just go for it? Just make all the signings, stack your squads, and ensure your dominance for the next five years. But given even though that's the logic, I think some of these moves made by these clubs are very, very suspect because look at look at PSG. They bought a 30, what, 33, 34-year-old Messi. Um, yeah. Man United are bringing back Ronaldo when they could be really looking at something like a DM. Instead, they're spending all this money bringing back Cristiano Ronaldo again. I don't know. Um, it's not like these moves are being made for the future, really. It's not like these are really... Uh, huge moves that will move them forward by leaps and bounds. These are just moves that at most take them sideways. And it seems like some of these clubs are getting a bit money drunk and they're trying to just spend for the sake of spending. And that's the reason why we didn't see much movement in the window until just now where the transfer window is closing and everything is just going nuts. Yeah, I mean... You could you could easily find arguments on the internet in of you know the tinfoil hat theory about this is a little bit of uh, Jorge Mendez Ronaldo's agent working closely with the Glazer family and the Glazer family wanting to push this through to get people off of their back for the whole European Super League fiasco. But <laughs> I don't know if fans are ever going to forgive for that. But this is probably the most romantic move from a Manchester United perspective, especially if you've been a fan of the club for a very very long time. In I know that. Uh, both you and I like to uh, banter Man United as often as we can. Obviously, as a Liverpool and Bayern fan, I am not going to miss a chance to do that. But yeah, it's just it's interesting to me that a lot of the European super clubs or proposed European super clubs, you know, they kind of, you know, you had all of this information about JP Morgan, other backers that were going to come out and put, you know, for lack of a better term, a whole bunch of money into that league and, you know, trying to use not coronavirus as an excuse, but the timing of it uh, and the financial losses and, and, and trying to use that in their package of arguments saying that, you know, we need the money and, and the European Super League is going to produce this money. And those same clubs are the ones going out and making these big moves, you know, in this transfer window. And as you said, there's lots of movement uh, now that we're very, very close to the transfer window being closed. And for us, and it looks like we are very close to getting this Marcel Sabitzer deal over the line and you know, we, we've written quite a bit about him. There's been a lot of different moving parts, 18 million euro. No, Bayern want to get some money shaved off of that. Uh, you know, our front office, as well as Julian Nagelsmann, remaining really tight-lipped over the situation, not wanting to comment. But obviously, as Bayern fans, we know that that doesn't mean it's not going to happen whatsoever. So with him coming in, obviously, he's a very versatile midfield player, can play in the center of midfield, can play wide, can play an attacking midfield role. You know, so there's a lot of different holes, so to speak, that he could fill. But but in do you still think with this Bayern squad and even with 
the injury returnees that we're going to have coming back after the international break, are there still holes that Bayern should be looking to fill or does Sabitzer solve any and all of the remaining holes that Julian Nagelsmann might have in the squad right now? Uh, the big, big hole is obviously right back. But I think that even with Stanisic and Pavard, you know, fine, still need a top level right back. And we don't have that at the moment. Well, technically we have that, but he's playing in defensive midfield. So Sabitzer coming in is a really good move because it gives us the option of putting in an emergency situation, putting Kimmich back to right back. And suddenly you can have Goretzka and Sabitzer in midfield and then Kimmich at right back and you are back in business, so to speak. So that's one of the good things about the Sabitzer transfer. Other than that, it's not exactly all the holes that we want filled have been filled. And there are also issues with some of the players that are already on the squad. We haven't been able to sell a lot of them. We haven't been able to sell Saar. We haven't been able to sell Cuisance, Chaliso. I think Juventus might try and make a bid in the next few days. I hope they can. But we haven't been able to sell Chaliso. We have just can't seem to sell these guys. And then there's the fact that Chris Richards is still on the roster and we don't know what to do with him. We should be trying to extend this contract and then learning in how to offenheim. But instead of that, he's still here. And I don't know how he's ever going to get minutes with all the center backs we have on the squad. Lucas Hernandez is not even fit and Richards has not seen the pitch except against Bremer SV. So what is going to happen to him? And I hate to see talent wasted because the club can't make up its mind on what to do with it. And it's also a big missed opportunity because if we give Richards one more year at Hoffenheim, he'll probably be worth 30 million next year and we could sell him for a huge profit, even if we don't want to keep him. Yeah, that it's especially annoying too, because you know that Seb Honus would love to have Richards back there. It's just, you know, kind of the financial issue that stands in the way for uh, him and Hoffenheim, and especially for a Hoffenheim that just gave up three goals to Borussia Dortmund and really could have gotten a point out of that game. But, you know, Erling Haaland is going to Erling Haaland at the end of the match. So they were not able to get the point uh, at the Westfalen Stadion. And, you know, I, I think that you kind of covered all the tracks as far as, you know, I kind of agree with you. I would love to see, you know, the proper depth at right back. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of, different players that we could have gone for. I was myself a little bit intrigued by, you know, our connection that seemed to pop up out of nowhere and really quickly to mention Gladbach's Matthias Ginter. You know, I, I know that on Die Mannschaft, he does possess the ability to play as a sort of center back, whether it's in a back three or a back four or at right back as well. I remember in a lot of the World Cup qualifiers prior to the European Championships, I was uh, relatively impressed with him, but that seems to have fizzled out relatively quickly as we were also linked with Jonas Hoffman from München Gladbach. They kind of shut those rumors down relatively quickly. Um, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that in with uh, with Ginter, but you know, if not, we can uh, kind of shift gears and talk about what we expect from a certain Mr. Hansi Flick's first international break in charge of the uh, German national team. And first off, it's a couple days ago. Uh, it was delayed by one day, but two days at the time of recording, two days ago, Hansi Flick announced his uh, first Demonshaft roster. So, in just right off the bat, were there any surprises or anything uh, that you really liked from the roster selection that Hansi Flick announced? So, uh, Raum and Schlotterbeck, that name is gonna is gonna <laughs> trip me up, you know. Uh, anyway, Raum yeah. and Schlotterbeck, they were surprises because I did not know they existed. And the other one is Kerrer, 
because I did yes, not know. You're, you're not even, a big fan of even, games, I know. Even Hansi Flick has been, he's been infected by the carer virus. And what do we do? Or maybe uh-huh. more, maybe he's just rewarding carer for helping us score in the final, you know? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you, I don't have any explanation see, for it. Are you excited to see? I know I was just going to add Wolfsburg's uh, Relay Baku is someone I'm very, very excited to see. And I yeah, think it's we, a little bit, I think he should have been in and around the German setup uh, uh, much longer ago, but obviously you couldn't really trust Yachim Love to make that kind of decision. Yeah, it's weird because Lowe was the guy who got Kimmich into right back. But anyway, I digress. It's finally good to see we will have the ability to field Kimmich in midfield and then Baku on the right. And then there's actually going to be an offensive right winger. Um, so it's like Germany finally have some good right backs since Kimmich moved to midfield. And it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be a more solid experience overall. What I expect from Low, sorry, what I, uh, it's just a Freudian slip. What I expect from Flick is that oh, no. he's going to... Oh, no. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, what I expect from Flick is that uh, it's, it's going to okay. be okay. Um, a kind of, how should I say it? He's going to be experimenting a lot. Okay, so he's taken all these attackers and he's taken, what, three, four real midfielders. So he has an idea of what his midfield and defense will be. He doesn't know who his left back will be and he doesn't know what his attack will look like. So he has his Bayern core there, but he also has the Chelsea guys. And he also has a few other guys who should be in the setup. But, you know, we just don't know where they fit in. So I think at the beginning, we'll see the Bayern template moved out. I saw an interview by Hansi saying that he's going to stick to the back four, which is a good, good decision, a very good decision. The back threes are terrible, but then we're going to decide how we're going to, who's going to play on the left back position. Is it going to be ghost? And can he calibrate to playing in the back four or do we need to look somewhere else? Then we look at the top, the front four. Where does Thomas Muller play? Where does Marco Royce play? Does he play? Where does Timo Werner play? Who is the striker? Where does Havertz play? Where does Gnabry play? Gnabry and Havertz can be strikers. Werner can be a striker or a winger. Sane is in the mix. Musiala is in the mix. Everyone's in the mix. How do they come on? When do they come on? Do you like start with a certain formation and then switch at uh, around 60 minutes? These are all the experiments that Joachim Lowe should have been doing for the last two years and he never did them. So Hansi has to start right now. And this is going to be... Um, an international break where Andy basically just gathers information and figures out what he's going to do. So I want to ask you, if you were Hansi, what is the first experiment you do? If I was Hansi, and first, I think we have to remind our listeners, you know, with this being his first, you know, block international selection as German national team manager, I think we have to look at the opponents too. So first off, Liechtenstein, North Macedonia, who somehow we lost two in the last round of qualifying. I mean, in my mind, that match doesn't even exist. Iceland to round it out. So not only Flick is going to experiment, this is the perfect time to experiment and make those experiments. And as Bayern fans as well, you know, with his track record of experiments and us with whatever experiment that he wants to put forth. And I know that he's said uh, a lot of things before about making that midfield pivot of Goretzka and Kimmich, kind of the focal point of his German national team selection. And I would like to see that. I know that Joachim Love, while he might have fielded that before, he didn't really make it 
the central focus, and that's not what he really built around. We saw way too many failed altercations between, you know, a back three with inverted wing backs or a back four with, you know, uh, defenders like center backs playing left and right back out of position. Uh, Robin Gersons, who's just like completely hot and cold. Um, so I think, I personally think um, he's going to give Baku a run out uh, as long as obviously at the time of recording, uh, Volsberg still has to play RB Leipzig. So hopefully he walks out of that match unscathed. But I would really like to see Hansi Flick give him a go at right back. I think, I think, you know, he plays a more advanced position uh, for, for Volsberg, almost like a right wing back. But I think that could be very, very effective for Hansi Flick and, you know, what he wants to bring to the German national team. So that's one experiment. And then, you know, not that he's a newer player, but we actually have a fit Marco Royce in the German national team set up, like an actual fit Marco Royce. And, you know, I know a lot of Dortmund and Germany fans will know that does not happen often. So I would like to see him in and around the mix and attack. And as you mentioned, I think Hansi Flick has the luxury between these three, quote unquote, uh, lesser caliber opponents. He has the luxury of being able to rotate between guys like uh, Marco Royce, Thomas Muller. I know in as a uh, as a huge Muller fan, you don't want to see him rotated out of squads. But, you know, also Leroy Sané, Timo Werner, Florian Wirtz, Jamal Musiala, we can't forget. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't really necessarily think the attack is as much of an issue. Those players are capable of getting the goals regardless of who the opponent is. And, you know, without shifting them too much, you know, I, I think he probably will have looked at what Nagelsmann was saying with Leroy Sané and, you can probably expect the same thing uh, in the German setup. You know, why why put him on the right if he's far more effective on the left? You know, if that means he doesn't play as much during these three matches, fine, whatever it be. I trust Hansi Flick to get the uh, the right starting 11 for every, you know, each individual match out on the pitch. And uh, as I said yesterday, and really, even though this is a, a new chapter uh, and a new beginning for the German national team, the expectation has to be three points from these three teams especially considering the fact that I think we're currently third in the World Cup qualifying group. Like we can't we can't really afford to not have nine points. You know, you could argue maybe seven would be OK. But but in reality, we were all expecting nine points and that's what it should be. And that's surely what Hansi Flick is is stressing to the squad uh, once they meet up. And that's that's I don't know if you have any different thoughts, but if we don't come out of this with nine points, the question marks will come. As you said, we were talking about the German media earlier in there you know, uh, criticism of Leroy Sané and, you know, kind of conflating everything. But um, so to just regress and, and kind of tie that together, uh, Baku, I think, is going to be the one, uh, you know, key experiment that he is going to try because it is with that back line. We have like, uh, you know, a surplus of center backs and just not as many, you know, true right backs. And as you said, one of them happens to be a little bit better in the center of midfield alongside Leon Goretzka. But do you think there's going to be a, is there one person or perhaps a pair or a cluster of players you think is going to experiment either defense, midfield or attack? I think the attack is going to get a lot of experimentation. I know that I like Muller and I want him to play every game, but in this <laughs> case, I don't want him. I don't want him playing every game. In fact, I want him pairing, playing as sparingly as possible just to get an idea of where he fits into the team. And then that's it because we have RB Leipzig after this. And then Barcelona. And I don't know if you looked at the schedule, but that's going to be yeah. tough. And we cannot afford to lose any of these guys for those two games. So I hope that Hansi Flick keeps the experimentation to the maximum and rotation to the maximum. So our buying guys come back in one piece, you know? 
Yes, a hundred percent. And before we wrap this up, you know, if if the uh, the footballing injury gods are listening to us, please, you know, take what we've just said with a grain of salt. But please watch over our boys. Hopefully, everybody comes back injury free. We get our injury returnees after the international break, as Ian mentioned. We have a very difficult schedule coming up once everybody does get back. So. With that said, that's going to wrap up this episode, this flagship episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever platform you do use to listen to us, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, myself, at TommyAdam71, the main account, at BavarianFBWorks, ins at BFWN or in at BFW. Uh, it's either one of those. If you're not already following him, you're missing out anyways. Uh, and until next time, thanks for listening. And I'm sure the next couple of episodes will be discussing the German national team, previewing those matches, post-capping those matches. And until then, take care. Auf Wiedersehen.